Our reading today is from Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 to chapter 34, verse 9. This comes just after God's people Israel made, a wor- made and worshipped a golden calf and thus break, broke the covenant that they had with the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish you? Sorry, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see and live, may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you 
in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is this okay? Great. Yeah, God's word. Uh, just, uh, I forgot to mention, if you were wondering, this is the fourth Sunday of the month. We usually have communion, but our pastor, he who is on holiday, so that's why we don't have it. Uh, 10th of December, we have it again. But uh, yeah, this is a, a well-known, famous passage. It's a great passage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, yeah, you reveal yourself. We can know you. We can see your glory. I pray that uh, yeah, you would do that. Show us your glory. Show us the Lord Jesus as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Now, as you know, we have uh, three children. They're growing up. Uh, the oldest one will turn 11 next week. Parenting has its challenges. One of the challenges is kind of what do you expect of your children? Not just the boundaries you set, but kind of, yeah, if children are young, of course they do things wrong. But as they get older, you expect more of them. Especially you expect them to do the things right that you've told them before, right? Uh, we've told them often enough to, uh, you know, be quiet. When we do this on the train, people don't like it, etc. What if they still do wrong? Uh, what if you, uh, yeah, if they're, okay, you're a year older, you should know this by now, all right? Maybe the children, they would like to know, what, does, what do my parents expect of me? Yeah. Because, again, uh, they want to, in a way, they, they want to do good, but they do wrong. Maybe you're a teenager here, and yeah, what do your parents expect of you? Because we all do wrong. That's the problem. Our children, they would, uh, they would rather not, but they, yeah, they find themselves sinning. 
And we as Christians find ourselves sinning. And what do we do? And we know, of course, we were sinners long ago when we were yeah, still lost in sin before we accepted Jesus. Uh, we didn't know God. We didn't live his way. Of course not. But then, you know, God reached out and we heard the gospel. We believed. It's all wonderful. And we promised, yes, Lord, I will live your way. But maybe now you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. And uh, the same old sins are still there. Maybe you feel like you haven't grown much. If people could see your fault life, they wouldn't like you as much as they do now. And you kind of feel, you know, is this right? What does God expect of me? I should be better than this. But I still do wrong. My life is uh, not what it should be. What should we expect of God then? What do we do? I mean, we notice these sins, right? Especially in our relationships with others. If you're married, if you have friends, you know that you still hurt people. We don't want to, but we do. We still do wrong. How does that work with God? I'm a Christian, but I still, I still sin. I still do wrong. Even after decades, what can I expect? Well, that is a great pass- way that we are looking at this passage now. Because that is what it's about. This is a passage for believers. Uh, It may feel like, okay, we're doing just a few more Exodus bits. Uh, We had this series, and then we had the weekend away, and the mission Sunday, and stewardship. Uh, Actually, this is the climax. And, yeah, we heard last week, it's not a great climax in some way, isn't it? Here's the people of Israel, rescued out of Egypt, uh, no longer slaves, God's people, great privilege, and they make a golden calf. There we are. Uh, they, uh, yeah, uh, some kind of bull, and they worship it and have a wild party, all of things that God had forbade. And Exodus was such a positive book. had uh, a rescue, the revelation, and the manna, and, and the covenant, and great plans that God had for them to save the world through Israel and to live with them. But he said, okay, don't make an idol. And they said, okay, Lord, yes, I will do everything you say. And what did they do? They made an idol. The covenant was broken. Moses smashed the tablets on the ground. It's over. And judgment came. 3,000 men who four months ago were walking through the Red Sea to freedom were now dead. Because... They had worshipped an idol and kept worshipping it. What do we do when we sin? What can we expect from God? What could these people expect now that they had broken the covenant? Well, in some way, I mean, we we know they, they shouldn't expect much, right? In some way, there should be no hope. That is how this passage starts. God cannot dwell with a sinful people. Okay, the covenant is broken. What now? Well, the Lord gives his orders. 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Okay, guys, it's time to go. Time to go to the promised land. But they were in the middle of building this tabernacle. What's happening with that? 
was no longer needed. Verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Uh, God says, okay, the plan is off. I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to stay here. Right? Because if I go with you, I, I might destroy you. What happened the previous day when, yeah, God was going to judge them and then Moses had to intercede. In a way, this is a loving thing of God to say, right? It sounds grumpy, but, you know, I'm not going to go with you. I might destroy you. That's a loving thing. But the thing is, if, yeah, for a sinful people to have God dwelling with them, it's, it's like a time bomb, right? The wrong trigger and boom. Yeah, it's not a bad temper. It's because sin deserves such judgment. But here it's a problem. How can this holy God dwell with this sinful people? And, and this great plan, is, it seems to be off the rails. And again, this was such a positive book. And we had Pharaoh and the Egyptians standing in the way, but the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea, nothing could stop God, right? Except sin. Now the plan seems to be off the rails. You can go, I'll stay here. This is not going to work out because of sin. And, yeah, it's, it's really not going to work out. I mean, it sounds in a way good. He says, look, you can still go. Go to the land and uh, I'll, I'll give it to you and there's milk and honey. It sounds like a good deal still, right? They were slaves, but they can still go to the land. But they don't think it's a good deal, verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, this disaster, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. Going to the land without God was, was nothing, was pointless. That was the whole point, that they would be God's people, and now God wouldn't be there. Uh, it challenges us. The best university, the best job, most wonderful family. If you have no relationship with God, it's pointless. But they couldn't have one. It's because of their sin. It's so clearly their fault. That's why they they mourn. They know it's their problem. I mean, maybe you feel the same. You're painfully aware. And you look at your life and, yeah, the things you've done wrong. Maybe last week's sermon on idols. Maybe a specific sin from the past. You know, you know, God isn't really pleased with me, is he? Let me list all the good things I've done, and it's a very short list, and all the things I've done wrong, and it's rather long. I shouldn't be like this, and God shouldn't accept me. Maybe for others of us, though, we we don't feel like that. We don't feel, look, I I can't dwell with God. We, We don't see the problem. Maybe you're glad we didn't do a confession, because we, what's the point? And how much do you reflect on on your sin. And we know no one's perfect, but we're very far from perfect if we're honest, aren't we? I mean, if your spouse or your best friend knew everything in your mind, everything you think and fantasize, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that all over Facebook or whatever. Or have you reflected on God that if he goes up for a single moment with you, he'd destroy you? That's what he says. Look, if I'd go for a single moment with you, I might destroy you because of your sin. That is what people are like, what we are like. And we, we don't have the time. We have our busy lives, but we don't think about ourselves. We don't think about God. 
If you were on the weekend away, we had this session on confession. It was very helpful. It's a discipline to take time to, to sit before God and think about what we are like, what he is like, and confess. That's, that's a, it's a discipline that we need to do. But the people are stuck now, isn't it? Uh, they can't go with God, or God won't go with them. And in a way, the problem is God still wants to. It was his great plan. He promised it. He loves these people. His whole plan was built on Israel, it seems. And now he can't go. He can't go with them, can't go without them. God needs some time. That's the funny thing at the end of verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. I need some time to think about this. Uh, it's, a, it's like a cliffhanger, you know? Uh, imagine you've hurt someone. You've said something wrong, and you ask for forgiveness, and they say, I need some time to think about that. That's serious, isn't it? And you know you've really hurt them. And then we get this story about Moses kind of taking a tent, and they talk, and that they need more time. Maybe your friend says, Forgiving, forgiveness, well, I need to talk to a few people about that. And we're waiting. What will happen? Well, we get to listen in on the conversation. And verse 12, Moses is still speaking to the Lord. And he brings up the issue, verse 12, 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Uh, Lord, tell me what you will do. Tell me, uh, I need to lead these people. Uh, please help me. Well, what, what, what should I do now? And God's reply sounds positive. Uh, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I'll give you rest. But that's singular. That's about you, Moses. I'll go with you, and I'll give you rest. But that's not the point yet. Moses says, look, it's not just about me. How about us? Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? You need to go with us, otherwise there's no point. Um, just to say it's not pleased with me, it's uh, uh, you f- uh, if we have found favor with you, if we found grace. Well, what will God say? Uh, you need to go with us, but you can't. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. God says, I will do it. I will go with you. He can't dwell with his sinful people, but I will do it. I will make it happen. Which is amazing, right? God couldn't dwell with them, but he says, I will do it. I'm going to go with them. And then we get this, this, this appearance of God with Moses. But, I mean, if God goes with them, how much would you expect of that? Would it just be a, a bit, well, let's try it out a bit. Let's keep our distance for a bit. Look at what God does. 34 verse 1. The 
the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. He will renew the covenant. The things that were broken, God says, make new ones. Same words as before. This is full forgiveness. Even the tabernacle is back on the agenda, and we get six more chapters of building, right? God will again dwell with them. And in a way, it's more than before. I mean, what do you expect? If God says, okay, I'll go with you, will the bomb still go off? No, he said, in a way, he's saying, the bomb won't go off. I will go with you, and I'll, I'll hold back. I won't destroy you. There will be no explosion. Nothing will happen. That's more, isn't it? In a way, God is saying, okay, I'm going to sort this out. Your sin, my anger at your sin, I'm going to sort this out. I'll go with you. Don't be afraid. I'll sort it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Such an amazing news. And the person you were waiting for to forgive you, who said, I need some time. I need to talk to a few people. And then they meet you and they say, I forgive you. What a relief, isn't it? To be fully back in relationship. Despite everything they've done, God says, I'll go with you. I'll have you back. Covenant will be fully renewed. We're here. And yet it's so hard to understand, right? Because God God would punish them. And they deserve it. What about God's judgment? How can God hold back like that? Uh, if you're a parent, you know your kids get on your nerves sometimes, and you, but you need to hold back. Self-control. How does God do it? And Moses wants to know, look, tell me about yourself. And the answer, God says, it's his nature. Because his character, his nature is full of grace. And that is what Moses wants to know, verse 18 Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Sounds like a strange thing to say. God has just said, okay, I'll go with you. Show me your glory. I think Moses, he just struggles to believe it. Is this real, God? Is is this really you? Is this just a one-off? Or is this really you? Show me what you're like, that this is really what you're going to do. And verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'm going to tell you what I'm like. And I'll show you my goodness and mercy and grace. And we get this, this great appearance where, where Moses has to kind of hide somewhere. And, and God is outside in all his glory. Moses can't see anything. But God proclaims his name. And, and then we get the most famous verses in the Old Testament, I think. Uh, as God stands outside and proclaims his name. 34, verse 6. I'm I'm sure you've read it so many times in the rest of the Bible. 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Uh, It's in Numbers, Nehemiah, the Psalms, the minor prophets. 
everyone remembers this is what God is like. And I'd love to spend a whole weekend on it, but we don't have that, isn't it? But what do we see? We see a great focus on, on grace. Most of this description is about grace in, in so many ways, right? God is compassionate. He, he knows our, our weakness and cares about it. He is gracious, doesn't treat us as we deserve. He is slow to anger, always patient with our sins. He is abounding in love, not just any love, steadfast love, love that keeps going and, and never changes. Faithfulness, we, we can rely on him that he is like this. Uh, maintaining love to a thousand generations. I don't know, how long is a thousand generations? 40,000 years? We can, so much steadfast love does God have. Forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Forgiving everything. So much grace. Yes, there's justice, but we've seen that. We've seen God punish the Egyptians. We've seen the golden calf. But how gracious is God? Well, he is even willing to forgive this. That's how gracious he is. Even though, like I said, it is both grace and justice. It does say he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, just to say that's not a bad thing. right? You see all the Hollywood scandals at the moment. People who are fired because of what they've done. Justice is a good thing. The only thing you don't maybe like... It's a bit weird, that stuff at the back. Uh, verse 7, visiting the iniquity. And he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Maybe that sounds a bit weird. Innocent children being punished for what their parents have done. Actually, in another place, in the Ten Commandments, it's put like this. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This is not about innocent children. This is about children following their parents and suffering the consequences. Uh, it's, it, yeah. God is not unfair, not unjust. But the thing is, this is about God's character, God's unchanging character. And that's what Moses wants to know. Is this just a one-off or is it really you? And God says, this is really me. And sometimes I make a promise and I regret it. And I keep it, but I don't want to. When God is gracious, he really wants to. It's not because he has to. And when he punishes, it's not because he doesn't want to, but he has to. God is really like this, and so he's always like this. If God is unchanging, he's always gracious, and he's always just. Although that might make you worried. If God is always gracious and always just... They can't go together, right? Grace and justice, how how can they work? I mean, will I get grace or will I get justice? I think it's important to see that your response is decisive. Will you get grace? Well, it depends on how you respond. If you see this verse used in the rest of the Bible, grace is always for those who return to God. If you confess your sin, if you're sorrowful, if you turn back to him, that's when you get grace, like in Jonah. If you turn back to God, there's grace. But justice is for those who refuse, right? Those who just keep going in their sin, they won't, get, they won't be left unpunished. 
I mean, look at the people here. What are these people like? Yes, they've sinned. They've broken the covenant. But when they hear that God won't go with them, they mourn. They take off their ornaments. They, they know they've done wrong. When God and Moses meet, they worship. That They want to come back to God. And they get grace. It's not that they were worshipping around the golden calf and having a wild party and God says, don't worry, I'm, for- I'm forgiving. It's not like that. If you return, God is there and he gives grace. And if you come back to him, he will always forgive you. You don't need to be anxious about that. He is always gracious, always forgiving. And, and that is so unreal to us. I think we read this and we think, yes, grace and love, that's what we are like. I'm glad God is like us. How much grace do we see around us, though? In your relationships, in your marriage, with your friends, how do you deal with conflict? Someone hurts you. Do you respond with grace? Many of us, we just ignore things until it gets too much, and then we punish Right? Uh, I'm not going to talk to you. Or I'm going to, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't be friends anymore. What is grace? Grace is where you say, yeah, you really hurt me, but I love you. I want to help you with this. I want us to come out of this together. And so I'm going to work with you. I don't ignore it. I don't punish. I give grace. I help. And, and that is what makes marriage works. Why are Christian marriages so good? Usually because of grace. Uh, Christian friendships. So much relationships are broken in the world because people don't know grace. They just try to be good enough for each other and punish each other when they don't. And that doesn't work. right? If I hurt you and you hurt me and I hurt you again, it's not going to work. Grace. And that grace is here with the Lord. Eh? You get grace. It means you can be open. If you're going to punish me, I'm going to say, I've done nothing wrong. If I know I've got grace, I will admit, yes, I've sinned, I've wronged you. Forgive me, because I know I will be forgiven. That is grace. So if you're a Christian, if, if you feel like a failure, if you wonder about those sins in your life, come back to God. Turn again to him, no matter what you've done. God is the God of grace. There is forgiveness and help. And you can keep coming back to him every time. And if you're not a Christian yet, that grace is for you too. You can come back. He made you. He wants you to come back to him. And he gives you that chance. Although you may still wonder then, yes, grace, wonderful. I'm so glad, so thankful. But how about this justice? Isn't God going to be just with me too? There is this tension. Well, we know how it will happen, isn't it, as Christians? We know how God solves it. I said this verse a lot of times in the Old Testament. It also appears in the New Testament. Look at this uh, phrase, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, the word for faithfulness is the same word as truth. Abounding in love and truth. And like I said, it's not normal love, it's steadfast love unchanging love. It's grace. Abounding in grace and truth. Where is that in the Bible? Do you know? Hmm? 
full of grace and truth? Hmm? Yeah, John 1, isn't it? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Well, let's go back. This is Jesus. And and Jesus came and, and John says, look, here he is. And Moses asks, show me your glory. John says, well, we've seen his glory. We've seen him. This God who of grace and truth, of mercy and justice, who would solve that. He was here. He's now fully revealed in Jesus. Yeah, because grace and justice came together yeah, at the cross. As Jesus paid the punishment for our sin, all God's justice is satisfied. And so we can get this grace and mercy. And we don't have to be afraid of justice. God promised you'd get grace. And you can see now how he solved it. That's why Christmas is so important, isn't it? God came into the world, the Lord, full of grace and truth, yeah, to make this possible, that he could dwell with us. And so you, can, you know you can always return to the Lord. Will you be accepted? Always. Will you be forgiven? Always. Will you be cleansed? Always. Will you be holy and pure? Always. Because all your sin is paid. And that's the wonderful news. And that is in fact what changes us. How do we change? How do we get over our sin? It's through grace. But we'll think about that next week. For now, why don't we take some time to reflect? Reflect on our sin. Reflect on God's grace. And then in a moment we'll say the confession. As as we turn again to our gracious Lord. Let's look at the screen and confess our sins together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in fault, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, Have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you always forgive. Thank you that this is your nature. We pray for each one of us that we will always come back to you, that we will always seek you, knowing that we will be accepted if we return. Thank you that all our sin is paid at the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.